that was so beautiful. Oh, every bit of that. Oh, it's one of my favorite songs. And you know that, that those people are all related, right? <laughs> and so uh, I, I hardly ever see a dad in a trio. A, a, a father and he and the guitar are one. Did you hear me? And then the little bitty on the violin, so gifted. And then the voice like a songbird mingled with butter. Oh, I am, I am, let's go home. Wow. Well, did you have some good fellowship time at lunch? I hope you did. And the book table did run out. I never even got to see what happened to the last of the books. They were gone by the time that I got there. Tiger time out a second. Okay, when you take pictures from the floor, what happens is it turns a person into a wide-bodied jet. <laughs> so I'm just saying that I have to approve your photographs before you post them. Okay. All right, now back to where we were. Listen, if you were me and your picture was popping up on everybody's newsfeed, this is my favorite speaker, and it's, you know, what kind of stuff? I don't know how anybody can take so many bad pictures. But I am the owner of lots of them, so, so knock it off on the floor. I mean, I'll do pictures with you later. And I have a law about that too, so somebody else whips out their phone like, I don't care what she says. Okay. So here's what I have, my philosophy about the, the pictures, since somebody's usually gonna use them for some kind of post, is let's just do a selfie. Because the beauty of selfies is this. You take the picture, you get in there, you frame yourself, fix your hair, tuck your tummy in, fix your uh, double chin, and smile. And then it's done because you saw it, so you know you're going to like it. So you don't have to do 75 of them. So there, I just taught you something else. <laughs> that was a wonderful special and the perfect entrance before this closing lesson. And lunch was beautiful, and I loved this day. Can we clap for this church? I go to conferences all around the country and I travel from normally from February till May and then again at the end of August until November or December. I do not normally travel in January because it gives me a little bit of extra time to catch my breath between conference seasons. But I noticed that the request from Beacon Baptist came through more than once and my assistant started telling me about you. And um, she's really a Hawkeye. She will go spy on your website. <laughs> She'll watch video sermons and all kinds of stuff. But she really was just wanting. She said, I think really, she says we, she never comes with me, but she says, I think we need to do this one. <laughs> so Joy was in favor. Kendra was in favor of it when she was there. And I'm really grateful that she said that because my no January rule would have meant that I wouldn't have been able to come because you do January all the time, don't you? Well, now that I've seen that it's safe to come here and I don't need boots, <laughs> I'll come. You call me and I'm, I'll be typing delta.com if I see your name. Yeah, but I've loved being here. I've greatly enjoyed it. Let me make a suggestion to you as you're heading out because you're going to be leaving soon. And when you're on your way home, if you have a lengthy car ride or even if you're going to go out with your sister friends and have a bite or something, Talk about the things that God spoke to you about because it's more than likely going to be different than something that God spoke to your friends about. You'll be amazed at what happens in those conversations. We've had some amazing girl time talking post-conference. And uh, you know what, though? I do remember one time that 
post-conference, I ran into a group of ladies at the airport, which was unusual. And um, they wanted, I thought, oh, they're going to come up and, say, and talk about the conference. And so they said, come sit, sit at our, our table. We were outside of an airport Starbucks. Sit down with us until the flight. Okay. So I sat down, and I sat down across from a lady that looked at me, and she said, you should get your eyebrows done. I can take it. There's Teflon on the back of me. I mean, I just thought, okay, we just spent all those hours in the scripture, and you got, your eyebrows really bother me. So don't do that to me, okay? Because if you do, your Christmas present will be coming from the Dollar Tree. Not, not playing. Well, before we open in a word of prayer, we are at this last lesson that's tied right in with the theme of keep your heart. And we are in a time now where it is so important, more than ever before, it's really important that we not live with unguarded hearts. The enemy is real. The adversary and all the adversity that comes at us is demanding. And these are perilous times. An unguarded heart can leave you at risk of becoming hurt, and hurt people generally can easily become confused. And so we don't want to leave our hearts unguarded. That In this lesson, we're going to look at four common times, and it's only four. There's way more than four in life, but for sake of time, we're going to take four common times when we need to guard our hearts with extra diligence. And then we will study some scripture to go with this. Let's open in prayer. And then we will study together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're at the closing, and I know that it took a lot to get this conference planned. I know what goes on behind the scenes. And a whole year or more of planning is over in just a few hours. And I just pray, Father, that as we all leave here, walk out the doors, get in our cars, head back to our places, that we'll take some time to ponder what you've taught us. And we'll take some time to consider carefully what is our this? What did you touch that you want us to pay special attention to? Lord, please help us to remain yielded, not just here, but all the days of our lives. We commit this closing lesson to you now, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Let's read the verse together, though I'm sure many of you know it by heart. Proverbs 4.23. Ready? Begin. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. My husband was sitting in the home office in the, we used to call it the den in the old days. Did anybody else grow up hearing the word the den? Yeah. My kids always heard the den. They didn't hear what everybody calls it today, home office. They always heard the den. And if you had to go to the den when you were growing up in the Taylor family, that meant you were in trouble. Meet dad in the den. Oh, dun, 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 dun. You know, they just knew that that meant they were going to get. Usually, Dad's lecture was about 45 minutes. Mine was a little shorter because I had other stuff to do. <laughs> but anyway, he, Norman H. Taylor was sitting in the den with his Bible in his lap. And he had heard from me multiple times. I was coming home from ladies' conferences and saying, honey, ladies keep asking me, when are you going to have a website? When are you going to have a website? 
And I thought, why? Why have a website? I didn't understand why I needed a website. I didn't, it didn't seem to matter. Well, one of the ladies, when I finally asked her why, she said, because we would look on your website to find out where your conferences are. And then she looked at me like, duh. And I thought, oh, so she finally gave me a real reason to have a website, but I still thought that seemed like a lot to have a website that's just going to hold a calendar on it. So I went home, talked to Norm. Norm sat there and he said, well, first it needs a theme verse. We are into theme verses in our family, especially because God will take a verse that you're really meditating on throughout the year and he will keep on reproducing fruit from that and teaching you these amazing things from that verse. My theme verse for this year is brand new. So let's see if I can remember it. Psalm 119 verse 27. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. Now that's a brand new verse for me. I mean, I've read it before, but it's a brand new theme verse for me. So memory wise, you have to check me on that. But I absolutely love how I already know in advance throughout the year, God's going to be answering that. I want to understand his precepts. If I'm going to talk about them this much, I want to understand what I'm talking about. And then that way I'm passing along things that are going to be understandable for you, practical, sensible, truth, sound as they should be. And that's my thing. You need a theme verse. I'm telling you, sister friends, it is part of how God uses, he uses it to transform us. It's another part of the tools he has in his toolkit for transforming us by the renewing of our minds. He really uses it strongly. But Norm picked song, um, Proverbs 4.23 for our theme for the website and then named the website Keep the Heart. And I said, that sounds perfect. And then that was 2012, and here we are. What year is this? <laughs> That's right. And here we are. <laughs> And how did we get here from there? Does anybody else feel like time is on speed dial? Yes. yes, and that's exactly how I feel when I think about the first day that that website was loaded up and all it had on there was my conference calendar. It now, when you go to keeptheheart.com, has a blog, has a link you can click to take you directly to the podcast, and has a whole shop. I call it the Mall of America. And you can go in there and find books in that, that use KJV. And I don't get into arguments with people about Bible versions, but I did notice that the major publishers have decided to abandon the KJV market. They just think, no, there's not enough of you guys, so bye-bye. <laughs> so little tiny Chicken McNugget companies like mine can say, hello, we have books that use KJV so you don't have to go look up the scripture in another. You've got them right here. And if we use another author's book, that's one of the things that we look for because we figure you can get everybody else's book at the Christian bookstore online. But you're gonna have a hard time finding ones that use KJV scripture. And same for Bibles, just Bibles. At least good looking ones, not everybody wants a big black, you know, tombstone <laughs> Bible. Some of us want something a little bit like, give me something I'm happy to carry, right? By the way, let me be Vanna White Brown for a second. This is in the shop at Keep the Heart. So, but not when you guys get done, it won't be. I saw how you guys shop. 
But honestly, we carry just a very select few KJV Bibles because you can still find those, but our books are in KJV. And so that's how the shop was born. But I started meditating on this verse over time even more because I really wanted to understand this concept of keeping the heart. This actually means guard or watch over. And I don't think we realize what God was trying to say in that single verse, but he really is trying to drive home the importance of us being protective about what we allow access to our heart. And guarding the heart also includes guarding the ear gates and the eye gates, because that's access, and we have to be aware of it. But there's situations that happen in life, and I decided to grab just the four kind of common ones that are they, they tend to take people's knees out from under them. And in these four situations, you may actually see yourself. You may be going through one of these four. I hope you're not going through all of the four, but you might be going through one of these. And I'm just going to give you some things to think about. God will take you much further. Because in your life, if none of these are what you're going through right now, God knows exactly what you are walking through. But number one out of four, out of common times to be on guard or to guard your heart, when you've had a disagreement, guard your heart when you've had a disagreement. And our scripture for that in Psalm, I mean Proverbs 18, 17 says, He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. We love to make ourselves sound like the shero. We are not the guilty party. We're the good guy all the time. And here's the thing. When we're first in our own cause and then we have a run-in with someone, it's their fault. Automatically, there's nothing to debate. They, 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 they started it. Or if they didn't start it, oh, they're so thin-skinned. Have you ever heard people say that? Have you ever said that? You know what? People who accuse other people of being thin-skinned are the same kind of people who say things like, I don't have a filter. And to those who say, I don't have a filter, I beg of thee, get a filter. <laughs> Filters are good things. <laughs> Try to drive your car without an air filter. <laughs> Try to run your air conditioning without a filter. We need filters. This needs a filter. If you don't have a filter, there's one right here. God can teach us how to have speech that is gracious. We are not naturally wired that way. Don't think that I don't realize it's so easy to say the wrong thing. It's so easy to be harsh, mouthy, sarcastic, flippant, we're wired this way from the factory. So to live in a spiritual realm rather than our carnal fleshly realm, we need God. And we're always going to need him. But what happens is he catches us more. The more sensitive we get and the more obedient we get, which immediate obedience is the best obedience. And if you've ever told your child that, but you're slow to obey, <clears throat> Hippocriter, hippocriter. I see you know the song. I heard that my homegirl was here at your church. Shelly Hamilton and I get in a lot of trouble together. 
I, I, a lot of trouble, and I love it. Everybody needs a sister friend where you can go and buy out the plant nursery and cram it all in their SUV. Yeah, that's my homegirl right there. But I'm telling you, that song from that simple little patch of pirate is really, really true. We've got to be careful when we've had a disagreement with other people. Just a few things to consider under number one. First of all, don't blame Christians for your running with a Christian. There's a difference. There's a tendency to, for people to blame all of the transgressions on just all of Christianity when it was actually you had a run-in with one person. Now, when you have a run-in with an unbeliever, you're really actually not surprised, are you? It's funny that people can have run-ins with people on their job and they know that those are unbelievers and they're not going to say this, I'm quitting my job. Generally not. Not unless it's a really abusive situation, but in a general disagreement, that's not going to be enough to make them get up and walk away and say, I'm never coming back. But let it happen in church. I'm quitting my church. I'm going to go find me another one where the people are more loving. Well, then what happens when you join it? <laughs> I don't understand. I never understood that kind of thinking. I never understood that. It's like, it's just like you're, what, you're going to go wreck it? What? We are so guilty of looking down on others and thinking too highly of ourselves. And God wants us to learn how to see our part in any disagreement. Even if our part was small, he wants us to own it so that we won't just quit because we don't like how something is going out. Do you know what's better than quitting? Resolve your conflict. Resolve your conflict. Otherwise, you'll go somewhere else, have another conflict, quit, leave it unresolved. Go somewhere else in search of utopia. And you won't find it. And part of the reason why you won't find it is you keep taking yourself there. We are all sinners. We all say and do things that are irritating. We don't always mean to, but sometimes we're just having a bad day. We have to learn how to guard our hearts at times like that and not get into a blame game, but instead get automatically into how can I resolve this? Another thing to consider under number one is don't paint yourself like the innocent party. Don't. Because there's guilt on both sides always in any circumstance. It even, like I said earlier, if yours is even minute, still don't paint yourself as I'm the victim and they're the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, we got to be so careful how we are looking at other people as the big giant cause of all disagreements. No, there's always going to be, as long as there's more than one person involved, there's more than one transgressor involved. So we don't want to paint disagreements that make us look like the innocent one. It's too hard to remain balanced when we're hurting. Our thinking gets a little weird. So it's better to just let your emotions cool off and not continue to get into thinking that could get you into trouble. In fact, shut the analysis off and cool off. And finally, under number one, don't air your arguments on social media. 
I beg of thee, please, I don't want to read about your argument on social media, and I don't want to watch it on social media. And if you're going to get on there and hint about things that other people do, well, I guess I'm just going to have to get a box of Blasto Butter popcorn and pop in a bag and sit there and watch you guys fight. <laughs> we want to be really, really careful about our use of these tools. My husband used to say this all the time because he was in technology. It's not the technology that sins, it's the user. So when people have so many bad things to say about Facebook, it's Facebook. It's the person behind the keyboard that's the problem. And that's where we've got to be really careful. Don't air your arguments on public sites. And don't take swipes at people that way either. If you've had a disagreement, you and that person need to get together at the right time and sit down and mend the fence together in love, realizing that this person is not your enemy, this person's on your team. Don't shoot at your own teammates. Who are you going to have left if you're always shooting at your own teammates? We want to be very, very careful. Don't say anything online that you would not say in person. Just totally bring that under control. When you've had a disagreement, guard your heart. And you know what else when you've had a disagreement? Speak less. Just, just limit those words while you're cooling off. Number two out of four, guard your heart when there are marital problems. Now I realize in this room, especially looking around and seeing so many young women, some of you are not married yet. Some of you are not even out of high school. Some of you are probably not dating yet even. So this is advanced information for you youngins. It's something that you can store back here in the data bank and pull, out, pull on it later. Because right now, if you're in high school and you're not dating, bravo. And if you see lots of other people that are dating and that makes you feel somehow like that means you're missing out, let me tell you that you're not. Because the purpose of dating is so that you can meet someone that might be a potential life mate. That actually doesn't take very long. You can tell when it's a no. <laughs> mean it, can't you? But if your mindset is, I've got a date because I don't want to be the one that's left out, you're going to drag the no out way longer than it needs to, which is unhealthy for you and for them. Keep in mind this, on a more positive way to look at it, when someone is not for you, that only means that God may have them for someone else. So get out of the way. Move along, little doggies. Yeah. Don't go cluttering up somebody else's life if you're not supposed to be a part of it, and, and the same thing for them. But we want to be careful in this realm of marriage. In the realm of marriage, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. Proverbs 20, verse 18, we talked about it in the earlier lesson, but I'm bringing it up again because I'm really in favor of, of, of urging people to get counsel. Every purpose is established by counsel, and that means every. And with good advice, make war. And that means sometimes marriage can be like war. Over this zone especially. <laughs> And nobody gets married to someone to go in combat with. Things happen along the way. Sometimes, you know what happens in a marriage? The two people get too used to each other. 
and they start taking each other for granted. Get your own dinner, chopped liver. <laughs> and it used to be, what do you want, honey? Oh, wait, I'll go make it gourmet. And you float off and you make him a four. You know, remember the early days of marriage versus the today? <laughs> well, today doesn't have to be bad. Today actually can be sweeter. But it does take paying attention. And that includes paying attention when there's trouble. And I said when because it's not usually if. I don't really know any couples that didn't have a rough patch. They didn't have all of them deep ones that broke them apart, but I do not know a couple that would not share a story that involved a time when things went wrong. If you got the book Rough Patches before it ran out back there, I think I tell the story in that book where I threw a Kleenex box at the wall in anger. I know. And when I'm not proud of it either, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed, but it's in the book, so I might as well tell you because it's already public information. I was so angry, and we were having a very heated disagreement, translation argument. And I picked up the box of Kleenex off the counter just because it happened to be there, a little square box, you know. And that man said something, and I pitched that Kleenex box, and it hit the wall, and it exploded exploded and the Kleenexes went everywhere. That's terrible behavior. That's not a role model at all. I still don't know why people fly me to their churches. But anyway, I looked at my beloved's face and the look on his face was such stern disapproval. And I was so convicted of how wrong that overreaction was. And it never happened again. I, I know he did not marry me so I could pitch Kleenex boxes at him. <laughs> and likewise, I didn't marry him so we could argue all the time. We needed to be careful. Strife is distracting and discouraging. So we have to be very careful to guard our hearts then because many people have walked away from the Lord because they confused their marital problems with God problems. It's not God. God's not to blame. God can help. We're the ones with the issues. And so that's the worst possible time to turn away from God. When you have strife in your marriage, don't pull away from God. Don't pull away from the one that can teach you how to work this out. That's so important. Also under number two, failure to get counsel will hurt you. Now there are some times when we don't actually have a situation that requires counseling. But when you're in a situation where there hasn't been a solution in sight for endless months or maybe years, then you are probably overdue for counsel. But I have, I have had women say this, my husband won't go. And you know the answer to that, don't you? Then you go. You seek godly counsel. Why? So that you can have a strategy for working on reconciling whatever it is that's broken. We don't have to have both people, but it's better if we can. Ideally, if a husband and wife will go for counsel when they're in a bad spot, it is a good thing. But if not, and you need it, 
then you get godly biblical counseling so that you can have a strategy for working this out. And while you're doing it, guard your heart. And by the way, don't think that you have to portray a perfect marriage. Don't feel like you have to put on a show for people. That doesn't mean come in the building on Sunday fighting in the parking lot. But what I'm saying is, don't think that everybody's looking at you like, oh, I just want to be like them. Actually, you know what, sometimes that might be the case. Sometimes people aren't even really looking that hard. You want to be good role models, but you don't want to be plastic. And it's fantastic plastic. That's what they used to call Barbie in the commercial. She's fantastic. She's made of plastic. That thing, that nobody needs. Nobody needs the plastic couple that actually can't even stand being in the car together. So let's really stay real here. That doesn't mean go air out your arguments, but it does mean you don't have to put on. And finally, under number two, have an iron sharpeneth iron friend in your life. That's a Proverbs 27, 17 friend who will help you to be accountable when you're going through tough times in your marriage. Now, this isn't a person to use as a dumping ground. This is a person for prayer support. You heard me say it earlier in a previous lesson, be careful how much you share, even with your very closest friends. Be careful, because remember that that very close friend, that those bags are too heavy for her. This isn't the counselor situation, this is the close friend, it's a difference. And when you're sharing with that friend, you're really just letting her know, I really need prayer. We need prayer. And this friend is going to be that person who says, okay, let's do it. I'm going to walk with you. And do you know that prayer warriors already know this. They don't actually need details. Do you know why a prayer warrior doesn't need details? Because they're one that the one they're talking to knows. Why do we think we have to have all the intel on other people's lives? We're going to God who's watching all of our lives like a movie. He just needs us to come to him begging him for grace, begging him for mercy, asking him for wisdom to walk wisely, asking us to control our speech, asking for the things that are usually lacking when there's trouble. Anything in that area you can think of, pray for that. But you don't need to know all the horrific, painful details of someone else's situation. But have that iron sharpeneth iron friend and guard your heart when you're going through something, even if you have to seek counsel alone, seek it. Number three out of four, guard your heart when there are problems with your children. And this can be children of any age, but it's particularly referring to children who are young adults, because that's when they can make choices and decisions that they couldn't make when they were at home, and your hat said, because I said so. Remember those days, those glorious days? I mean, all the eggs were in one basket. You knew where every bird was going. They had to check in with you, and they lived at your house. And for the most part, not 100% of the homes, but in most cases, they followed your rules while they ate your food. Right? <laughs> Are your feet under my dining room table? That will be yes, ma'am. I mean, and we don't even actually have to get like that. When you've been training up a child in the way they should go, there's generally not as much crazy stuff going on, but sometimes you may have birthed one of those Old Testament, ouch, what are we going to do here? 
And we're not first because didn't I say Old Testament? Because in the Old Testament, don't you remember the mother and the father taking their son before the judge? We can't get this child to do anything we say. And the consequence, does anybody remember what the Old Testament consequence was for that? If there was stoning today, <laughs> I think we'd have worldwide obedience. It just would be a miracle. <laughs> I'm grateful we don't have stoning today. Some things in the Old Testament are very hard to read. But the truth of the matter is, it's just pointing out to us, you're not the first one to birth a difficult child. And yes, you can birth a whole nest of birds in one gospel greenhouse and have them turn out all different, like who, what? <laughs> Somebody came in here and sold some tares among the wheat. That is not my child. <laughs> it can happen. Our response at a time like that, we've got to guard our hearts. Otherwise, we're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, or say too much. And the one thing we definitely don't want to do is we don't want to take someone who's already struggling and broken and drive them away. And if you decide you're going to suddenly become the lecture circuit where they have to listen to everything you taught them from three years old up to this age and you're going to remind them of all the things that they should know better, you're going to lose a piece of their heart. Be very, very careful. This is a time to guard your heart and not let your personal feelings about what that child is going through start to color how you deal with them. Now, when we look at verse Proverbs 19, 13, a foolish son is the calamity of his father and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. Do you notice that those seem unrelated and yet they are? We've got the foolishness of a son, that's the calamity of his father, and then we've got the contentions of a wife, which is a continual dropping. Have you ever thought about the fact that the reason why there's contentions from the wife is because of the foolish child? So this is our caution. When there's a problem with a child, don't chew your husband out over it. Don't attack your spouse. Mothers sometimes will turn on the spouse because of the transgressions of the child, and that's actually a waste of energy, and it could put a strain on your marriage that you don't need. Another thing to consider under number three is that mothers may feel cheated when there's trouble. Be careful not to personalize that too much either. But I sent them to Bible college, and I, they went to Christian school, and we memorized all the verses in Awana, and they had awards, and they did this, and we did camp in the summer, and I, we crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. I put my money in. I want a Christian to fall out of that soda machine. <laughs> we really are just, our thinking is a little skewed. Do everything right that you know to do right as much as you possibly can, realizing that you're going to do it imperfectly even if you're trying to do it right. But ditch the expectations that this equals, I guaranteed get an outcome that I'm expecting. I wish, but then you'd have to have robots, not humans. Humans make choices. Robots are programmed. You can tell the Roomba to vacuum the room. You can't tell a human 
what to do. Have you noticed that? But do you know that that includes us? So we have to remember that we are really part of this whole picture. Sometimes we're wrongfully feeling cheated because we gave the kids a good upbringing, but we have to remember that their adulthood comes with the freedom to choose. That's how that foolish son got to be the calamity in his father. I mean, he, he probably had a godly home. And they certainly didn't have the temptations and distractions that we have now. Nobody in the Old Testament had a cell phone. They didn't have access to what this stuff is we call internet. And yet they have problems with their kids. We can pray for our kids when they're struggling, but they have to choose to walk with the Lord just like we had to. Do you remember you when you weren't so great? If you can't, that's probably part of your problem. <laughs> the younger you were born again, the less likely it is that you had opportunities to make as many mistakes. And then we reproduce and we expect things rather than realizing that the fact that we reproduce just means there's more humans now, but we have just as much work to put into them being trained as our parents had to put in with us. And I don't know about you, but I was a lot of work. A lot of work. For both my parents and for God. And so we want to be sure that we're keeping some clear thinking here. Pray for them and then accept that waiting will come with those prayer requests. Do not even start driving up praying impatiently. It's not going to help you. You can't speed up God. He's going to answer your prayer in due season. And I do like to ask the Lord, Lord, may I have an answer to this one in my lifetime? And I'm serious when I ask him that, but I add this afterwards. But if not, I'll still follow you. Do you love God like that? Love God like that. You can trust that he heard what you said, and he's going to answer. It's just he wears a different kind of watch than we do. His watch says, in due season. Ours has numbers. We want stuff in by 10 and out by 4. But that's not what prayer is like. It's not dry cleaning. And finally, under number 3, remember that imperfect parents don't reproduce perfect children. Norman and I, when we were new parents, we were young Christians as well, so we made enough mistakes to fill a few semi-trucks. We were just really not in the know. And because of that, our kids are products of growing up in a home where their parents were baby Christians at the time. So when I see some of the different outcomes of the three adults, because all the three Taylor children, who I just love their presence like nobody's business, Belle, I'm always talking to Belle. Maybe she should have sat here. Belle, do you not absolutely eat it up when your adult kids are around you? I know she's got, she's surrounded by them right now. I love that. They're not all walking in lockstep like I would love to see. But do you think God doesn't have a plan still? God has higher goals for our kids than we could ever have. He has a vision for them that we can't even imagine. And he's not finished with them yet. So if you've been fretting over an adult child or a teenage child or even a young one that's just seeming to be, oh my goodness, just way off, 
God's not done yet. He's not even done with us. So let's remember that we are the imperfect people who reproduced after our own kind. Focus instead on praying for the loved ones who are struggling and then freely love them the same way God loves us, which is how? Unconditionally, otherwise known as as is. He loves us as is. Can you give that kind of love to your young people? It does make a difference. They'll want to be around you. If they want to be around you, but they're a little bit crickety walking with God, they're not quite doing it right, your influence, they'll be under it because you haven't driven them away. Guard your heart when you're going through trouble with your kids. And finally, number four, guard your heart when death has taken a loved one. And it's really important that we get good at this because I think we've forgotten what it says in Psalm 90, verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Threescore and ten, how much is that? And if we get to live fourscore, how old is that? And some people get to live longer than that because God said so. He lets some people live to be 80, 90. Is there anybody in here who's over 80 and doesn't mind saying so? Yay! Oh my word, the whole posse! That is so beautiful! Wow! If the Lord lets us, we'll, we'll join that. We'll get to join their club. Maybe they'll let us in. Because it's exclusive, too. Because you know what? I know here's how I'm going to be when I'm 80. If you're a drama queen, you can't come to lunch with me. I'm not done. No, I, I already don't do drama. I already don't. And you hit a certain age where you have zero tolerance for it, like no patience left. Sorry. I, that was back in, like, my 50s. But I'm way far from there. So I'm telling you, the beautiful thing that we have people here who have more than this. But here's the thing. We also know that our days here are numbered because the Bible even says, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We all have a certain amount of time on this earth. And then that time on this earth is done. So some things to remember under number four, finally, grief is messy. So if you haven't gone through deep grief yet, I can let you know in advance, don't be surprised by how messy it is. It's extremely messy, it's unpredictable, and it's demanding. So that means that saturation in the Word of God is essential. You have to guard your heart with the Word of God. That's how we guard our hearts. And when we are in deep grief, we may be tempted to say, I just can't read my Bible. Okay, all right, if you're feeling like that, no judgment. Here's what you'll do. You use an audio Bible. Hey, sister friends, any port in a storm. Outsmart yourself. You don't want to read? Okay, listen. You'll find yourself getting through that patch where you're feeling like, I just can't read. You'll get through that. You really will. There is an other side to all of these things because life is a giant rotation. It's never always the dark. It's never always the light. It's never always thunderstorms. It's never always sunny. It's rotation. 
And so if you're not willing or able for some reason to read, then go audio. Bible apps aren't even, they don't even cost money. Why wouldn't we listen? I mean, honestly, there are some people who have no access. We have unlimited access of every form, written as well as digital. So go with digital because that audio Bible playing for hours, and you can literally let it play for hours. You can turn it on and let it play all throughout the day, or before you go to bed at night, you can put in earbuds and fall asleep listening to scripture and let God soothe you through that messy stage of grief. Also, beware of the tendency. Beware of the tendency to get poor eyesight when you're grieving. It's a possibility and it's a real one. And what do I mean by that? When we're hurting, we suddenly become a little out of character. Some people become a lot out of character. Maybe you're never a critical person when things are normal. Guess what? When you're grieving, you could suddenly become a critical person. And you can see something wrong with what everybody's doing. Catch yourself when you sense your thinking going all dark. And you need to back away from that and ask the Lord to restore unto you the joy of his salvation because it's missing. And of course it is. Grief is a hard beast. It really, really is. But it's not too hard for God. And remember this too. We're not being neglected just because people aren't stopping their lives to grieve with us. They came to the visitation. They came to the funeral. They went to the graveside. Maybe they brought meals for a week and then poof, everybody magically vanished. They're not neglecting us. Life goes on. And people don't stop their lives because our life is going through this stage of being blown apart. So please don't think harshly of other people. Don't, don't think, oh, they're not even, they don't care about me. Oh, reject lies like that. Reject lies, that, that's enemy talk. That's not truth. It has no foundation. Besides, you wouldn't be able to prove it. We're not being neglected. They don't stop their lives to grieve with us because that's not their job. They'll be there when the Lord directs them, hey, go check on her, give her a call, send her a text, let her know you're praying. They'll be there then. But if we're talking a month, two months, three months after the funeral, guess who your best companion is at that point? That's right, God. God does not ever leave us. Best companion ever when you're walking through the dark valley of grief, the best companion is God. That's not just a flowery, flowery saying. It's reality. It's literally reality. He's the only true comforter. That's what the scripture calls him. And that's what we need when we're going through deep grief. Now, I'm looking at a room full of faces that don't look sad. But I don't know your stories. But if I were going to guess, I would say that there's a large percentage of this room where many of you have not yet buried your spouse. There may be a large percentage in this room where you have not ever buried a child. Some of you still have one or both of your adult parents living. So that means that what I'm teaching right now 
is going in your storage data bank for later. And you'll remember some of the things that we talked about. You'll say, oh, this is normal because grief is messy. And finally, under number four, resist the temptation to become a hermit. When you are, when death has taken a loved one, our tendency could be to pull away from all others. And it's funny because on the one hand, we want them to pay attention to us. On the other hand, we want them to go away. You really can't have both. And we, but we become irrational like that in the throes of grief. And becoming a hermit can be habit-forming, and it keeps us from healing fully. It's too easy to wallow in self-pity when nobody is allowed in your life. When you shut everybody else out, you go to a very dark place where you don't belong, and nobody is there except God, and you're not even letting him in. Let someone inside during your grieving process. In addition to God, he always has that special friend that can take it that you're having a hard time. Some people are like medical people. Blood doesn't make them faint. In the spiritual realm, some people are just like spiritually medical. Grief doesn't make them faint. You could tell them how your guts are falling out and they're just not gonna be at all floored by that. They're just gonna be right there, hold your hand, pray for you, and when they're not in your presence, they're going to be praying for you, just even thinking about you. We all need people like that in our lives. God actually designed it when he talked about the friend being born, the brother born for adversity. God wants us to allow people to help us when we're in these times. Please don't shut everybody out when you're grieving. There's not going to be any badge of honor for that. Don't think somebody's going to come build a monument in your yard because you were able to go it alone. That's not a good way to go. Well, sister friends, we're at the end. And I want you to know that these were just four common examples, examples, but there's more than four. But whatever it is that tempts us to turn our heart away from God, we want to turn back to him. Because when the scripture says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, what it's really saying is this is going to be hard work. Now remember at the beginning I was telling you the story about how somebody took a Bible and showed me how I could know Christ as Savior? I'm still wondering about this whole room of 360 some odd ladies in here. And I'm wondering if you've been here all day having the time of your life, had a great lunch, served by all those awesome men, and you've been having just a beautiful time, but nagging in the back of your mind, you're wondering, hey, that thing Francie talked about at the very beginning, I'm not sure about my eternity. It is one of the most important things you need to be sure about. How many funerals do we have to go to before we'll believe that we get a turn? We are either going to pass away or the trumpet will sound and the angel will shout and as the scripture says, the dead in Christ will rise and those of us who remain are going to be caught up with the Lord in the air. It's going to be either or. But if you're in here and you're unprepared for that, we won't be here to help you. And so I want to tell you now, if you're sitting in this room, that it is real that the scripture says there is none righteous, no, not one. So don't be sitting there thinking about your past and thinking God can't, God wouldn't want me. Don't think that that's a lie. That's not truth. He does want you. He proved it. That's why he died. And the scripture says that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
That was for you, that was for me, that was for all of us in this room. But we also know that it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you have assurance that you will have eternal life one day with Christ? If you don't know, then the answer is probably no. So then guess what you get to do? Today you get to settle that. I love how the Bible is, the Bible's actually not as hard as we make it out to be. First of all, it's spiritually discerned. So when we don't understand something, God's happy to help us understand. But second of all, sometimes he makes it really simple. Like, like Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How simple can God get? Guess what somebody told me when they were leading me to Christ? Francis, he called me Francis. That's my get in trouble name. <laughs> Francis, I'm a whosoever. You're a whosoever. After all God has done for us, don't you want to accept him as Savior? And you know, my answer was yes. Otherwise, you know what? I wouldn't be here. How could I be? Why would I be? Crystal wouldn't have called me because I wouldn't be a Bible teacher. Because if I didn't know Christ, how could I teach the Bible? Somebody in here may need to make a decision today about that very thing that you, your greatest need, is not covering all of these bases, but your greatest, deepest need is you first need Christ as Savior. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a closing time where you can just reflect in your spot. You don't have to get up and move. We will have you right where you are, where somebody's playing the piano, some gentle, wonderful soul is going to go, just play just as I am. And she didn't know that, but she can do it so beautifully, I know. I, have, I just have such confidence in her. And just in just a few moments, she's going to play this simple song, Just As I Am, without one plea, but that his blood was shed for me. And while she's playing that, if you're in here and you don't know what would happen if you were to die tomorrow in a car accident, would you please tap the arm of the person next to you and say, would you help me pray? Would you show me those verses again she talked about? Somebody brought you on purpose for that. But for the rest of you who already know all of this, is there somebody in your airspace that you can think of that you could talk to this week? Please don't assume you have forever. Talk to them soon. Because next week or the week after may be too far out. We don't know how much time we have because we just know that it's numbered days, right? And finally, with everything that we've been covering here, remember I told you earlier, ask the Lord to help you with your this. That may be the only thing you're praying about as we have the piano play. I will pray and then you play for a while. Our Lord, we yield our lives to you. I pray for anyone that's in the room that doesn't know you as Savior, that today would be her day of salvation. But since so many in this room do know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they take whatever you've touched, their personal this, and they yield it to you so that you can transform them by the renewing of their minds. Lord, and as they're in the quiet moments here that follow, I know that you'll hear their prayers. You always hear our prayers, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we commit our lives and ourselves unto you. Thank you so much, Lord, that man's goings are of the Lord. We can't always understand our way, but you do. We praise you.